making sense of it all. Helping you gain insight and take control of your wealth creation journey. All right, welcome back, listeners. Now, we do have our bonus episode. We've cut this out of the main segment, uh, but we've kept Melinda on board so that she can provide us with an economic outlook for the property market. So, thanks for hanging around, Melinda. You're very welcome. I look forward to this chat. All right. Well, to be honest, I'm going to hand it straight over to you. What are we seeing in this property market? We're in the world of COVID-19 and uh, we're seeing all the headlines as usual. The media loves a bit of attention when it comes to uh, some volatility in the property market. There's talk of Sydney and Melbourne with double-digit negative numbers for growth. Brisbane before COVID-19 took place was expecting 20% for the next three years. Let's get back to reality. Let's take the speculation um, out of the the headlines. And what are you seeing on the front line on a day to day basis when it comes to obviously you work in the in the Brisbane property market? Um, what are you seeing? Great question. Let me just um, even backtrack a little bit prior to COVID-19 and um, help some of the listeners understand what we were seeing in Brisbane up until, you know, when this impacted our lives so significantly. So, momentum in the Brisbane market and certainly nationwide was so strong in most locations around Australia. So, basically, there was strong upward price pressure. It was um, very evident and it was what we call a seller's market. So, there was limited supply because there weren't many properties that were listed on realestate.com for sale, but buyer demand was really, really deep. So, we had multiple buyers on most properties that were investment grade properties, certainly in Brisbane. Um, And that was seeing price growth. So, even... um, though the median value only showed uh, price growth of about 2.4% according to CoreLogic over the quarter, there were pockets within Brisbane that were accelerating at a much faster rate than that. So, transaction volumes um, then slowed right down as the number of coronavirus cases started to rapidly increase. And let's face it, there was a very scary time um, throughout the latter part of March where There was a lot of uncertainty. Nobody really knew where we were heading um, and we were hearing some scary reports coming out of overseas in terms of what this coronavirus was doing um, to other economies and, um, you know, impacting health systems, et cetera. So, from, in terms of property, what happened is everything stopped. That's what happened. Sellers stopped listing buyers sat on the sidelines and we saw very, very few transactions, so very few properties being purchased, very few properties being sold. Um, New listings dried up. So, no one wanted to bring their properties to the market and let's face it, there was too much uncertainty around whether people coming through a home may have been infected, they could potentially pass um, the infection into the family home. Um, Then the rules around inspections and auctions changed. So, you could only take people through um, properties by private inspection. So, a lot of things were changing very rapidly. Um, I think up until Easter Sunday, new listings were about 27% lower than the equivalent period last year. And let's not forget this time last year, we were in the lead up to a federal election. So, listing volumes were really low this time last year as well. So, it gives you an indication of how little stock there was available. And in terms of new listings on realestate.com, we could count it on one hand how many properties were coming to the market um, in a day across the entire um, greater Brisbane area. So, people were just not selling. Wow. Okay. 
It was crazy. Um, so effectively, buyers and sellers went into hibernation. What turned around? So I want to talk specifically about what happened here in Queensland. From about the 5th of April, we saw the coronavirus cases um, effectively flatline. From that point onward, we had less than 13 cases every single day thereafter. And of course, now we're in a situation where we've just got no new cases at all. Um, from mid to late April, buyers started to re-emerge. We saw that ourselves through increased inquiry, um, but we saw that as well through uh, buyers start to re-emerge and, and look at properties. Now, you didn't get window shoppers, you didn't get the neighbours going through properties, but you got buyers that were qualified and ready to purchase. And so, the ratio between the number of people inspecting properties and those that were putting forward an offer started to increase. So, you got quality buyers coming um, back out. Now, only so in the they, last... Were they, sorry, sorry, investment or were they home buyers? What were they looking for? Predominantly, home buyers were very active in the Brisbane market um, at that time. Uh, more recently, investors have also re-emerged, uh, and I'll get to that later as to what their motivation is. Because uh, we talk to a lot of investors, both locally and interstate, and there's a reason why they are looking at Brisbane at the moment. Um, so we've had some strong demand, but we've we've had really limited supply. Uh, but in the last two to three weeks, again, sellers' confidence is starting to return. Now I've been running an agent interview series series, um, which is providing an on the ground update because when we're waiting for the data to tell us what's happening, it's too late. Let's face it; in this environment, it's we've had to provide you know analysis every two to three days to keep up with what's been going on around us. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's good news that sellers' confidence is starting to return and that actually aligns with what we're starting to see on the major real estate portals as well. Search activity started to increase a few weeks ago on um, realestate.com and domain um, and that's now starting to um, translate into new listings coming online. So that's really positive. Um, let me reaffirm that the listings that we're seeing, according to the sales agents that we're talking to, are not distressed listings. They are not people in financial distress. They are simply people who had intended to bring their properties to the market um, throughout potentially March and April, but they stalled. They, they waited until there was more certainty before they've made the decision to bring the properties to the market. I think the biggest thing that we've noticed, and this is across the board in a, in a lot of markets around Australia, is that vacancy rates have increased. Now, there's markets within markets, which is what I also um, want to basically clarify. Vacancy rates have not increased everywhere. There are a significant number of vacancies in the inner city locations of Brisbane CBD and around the areas where there is higher density development, um, such as around the university precincts of Kelvin Grove and St. Lucia. Now, what we've seen, why we've seen that is because um, a lot of the two-bedroom, two-bathroom, typical investor-style um, products have been vacated. So, when we when we look at um, why, it's because of lower rental demand. And look, the borders are closed. International students are no longer coming in to take up those places. And that's caused a spike in vacancy. Now, as I mentioned, there's many investment grade suburbs that have had no change in vacancy across the same period of time. Uh, so, it's important to understand markets within markets. The other thing that we've noticed is that asking rents have declined slightly. 
that's going to be correlated with the vacancy rate. Um, if you've got something in the inner city, you're going to be dropping your price just to get someone in it at the moment. Um, whereas if you're in an investment grade location, it's less likely that you need to offer a rental discount to get a quality tenant. Um, we had some clients that were settling on purchases that they'd made with longer settlement periods. So we may have transacted back in February, but we were not settling until late March, early April. And we were genuinely concerned at that point as to whether they would um, secure a tenant. But they all did um, in in record time, to be honest, because people were acting and, and making decisions very quickly. Um, but we took a more aggressive strategy of asking for a slightly less rent than they would have otherwise been able to achieve, $20 discount per week, for example. But we could quantify that risk for our investors and then they can readjust that rent and bring it back to market rates uh, once this pandemic is over. That's just about creating some certainty, I suppose, uh, and that can provide you stability of cash flow, but yeah, certainty Absolutely. for the investor. Absolutely. And it's all about risk and reward and having a property vacant for another two weeks, trying to achieve an extra $20 a week makes no sense when you're looking at the numbers. So, it's just about creating, um, as you say, creating certainty and providing security of income um, during such an uncertain period. You know, we didn't know what was happening in the rental market. The state government were making um, radical proposals about changing tenancy laws and relationships between landlords and tenants. Uh, What we did as a firm was placed all of our investment clients on hold for a certain period of time until we had some uh, clarity around what, you know, may have happened in that time. But I think a big thing that um, we've heard in the headlines, I mean, let's face it, the media love a good headline. They love something that's a bit of clickbait. Um, so, you know, tenants can't pay the rent. Um, property prices are falling. Everything has been negative in relation to property. The reality is uh, property managers that we refer a lot of business to have um, currently less than 1% of their entire rent role in arrears very low volumes of um, tenants who have uh, requested uh, rent deferrals or or arrangements between tenants and landlords. Again, it's going to be relative to the product type and the location of a property. So, um, investors just need to understand, you know, that not all properties are impacted in the same way as a a result of this pandemic. Uh, I think um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, some of the headlines, the worst headline I've seen is that property prices are predicted to fall 30%. The Australian property market predicted to fall 30%. Now, it's that sort of sensationalized media that causes people to panic um, and it's not really warranted in the current circumstances because right now the data does not support this. Um, Let's not forget Australia is not one property market. I mean, Brisbane is not one property market. Every location within Brisbane is its own sub-market within the larger market. And I think that what we would find is that if the supply of properties significantly increased and demand significantly decreased, then we would see falling prices. But that's not actually been the reality across this pandemic period. Uh, We've seen no change to property values to date. property values have been extremely resilient. Now, people may be wondering how has this happened or why have property values not fallen? Well, property is driven by supply and demand. And as I mentioned, everything stalled as soon as the pandemic happened. So, supply just completely tightened um, and no new listings came to the market. Now, we 
are in a period right now where banks have come to the party effectively and they've put in place these repayment pauses. Now, there's a lot of commentary around there. there's going to be this property cliff where all of these distressed sellers are going to be listing their properties for sale in September. So, knowing we were going to talk about this, I've actually put a little bit of time into researching. Uh, that's my background. So, I've really dug into how many borrowers are distressed, how many borrowers have put their mortgages on hold, um, how many properties there are and in Australia and therefore what the overall percentage of distressed sellers may be come the end of September. Would you like me to share that with you? Absolutely. Well, yours, <laughs> let's look is, at the data because that's the only way you can really get an understanding of how this it will impact the market. Absolutely. So, in terms of the number of borrowers who have taken advantage of the repayment pause, um, the CEO of the Commonwealth Bank, now remember the Commonwealth Bank is Australia's lar- largest mortgage lender. So, the C- CEO reported last week um, that 74,000 of their customers had taken up um, the offer to defer their mortgage repayments. Um and that's out of a total 1.8 million mortgage customers. So it represents about 4% of their total customer base. So 4% of the Commonwealth Bank's customer base have put in place mortgage deferrals. Now, yeah, that's it. The Commonwealth Bank of Australia holds about a 25% market share of all mortgages across our country. So, from a market read perspective, I think their data is quite significant. Um, and it indicates that the vast majority of mortgage holders are actually quite well placed to ride out this health challenge. So, that's that's the first thing um, just based on the numbers and the data. If we look at core logic data that was um, published in 2020 at the end of April, residential real estate as an asset class in Australia has been valued at $7.1 trillion. It's the largest asset class um, out of all assets. Um, Just to put that into perspective, superannuation, um, the pool of superannuation is valued at around $3 trillion. Um, Australian listed stocks around $2 trillion and commercial real estate around $1 trillion. So, it gives you some perspective in terms of the size of residential property as an asset class. Now, according to CoreLogic at the end of April, the outstanding mortgage debt, debt I beg your pardon, was $1.83 trillion. So, with an asset class valued at $7.1 trillion, um, the outstanding debt was valued at about $1.83 trillion. These are big numbers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if we extrapolate these numbers more broadly across the Australian housing market, um, we know that the residential market consists of about 10.4 million dwellings um, at a price value estimate of $7.1 trillion. Um, the loan-to-value ratio with the average outstanding debt works out to be about 25% loan-to-value ratio. Now, I'm going to take this a little bit further because, you know, there's a lot of journalists that are talking about this mortgage cliff. So, out of, but we've got to remember that not everyone has a mortgage on their properties either. And this is the data that I dug into a little deeper. So, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, through its census data, reports that of the 10.4 million dwellings around um, Australia, about 37% have a mortgage, just 37%. Only 37%. Wow. Correct. 
So that equates to about 3.84 million households with a current mortgage. If we go back to the CBA data where about 4% of those um, mortgages have taken out deferral of their loan repayments, it's, it comes to around 153,920 households who have applied for a repayment pause. And when we compare that to the overall number of properties available or in the overall number of residential properties in Australia, it represents just 1.48%. So if we assume that everybody that has applied for a mortgage deferral has to sell, we're going to see about 1.48% of the residential properties across our country um, coming to the market, which is just not enough distress selling pressure, in my opinion, to materially impact property values. That's right. And that's probably what's on the generally on the market anyway at any one point, I would have thought. Exactly. And I think that the point that, that, you know, I guess the point I wanted to make here is that the numbers are big. Let's not forget that there are a lot of people that are in mortgage distress, uh, sorry, that uh, have deferred these payments um, at the moment. And they may find themselves in mortgage distress if they have not, um, you know, regained employment by the time they, you know, this this mortgage deferral, you know, expires effectively. But relative to the total number of dwellings and the, the total number of people that have mortgages, it is such a small number that I really can't see it becoming a fire sale um, situation because we're already in such low stock um, and demand is still relatively high that, um, you know, it's the balance between supply and demand that matters most in terms of driving property values. That's interesting. It's really interesting that, I suppose, firstly, your observation, Melinda, that you're saying that you haven't seen any decrease in in value, um, but also those numbers you're going through because working in self-managed super, we often have to obtain uh, reports from valuers to say, yes, this is how much this property is worth. And um, a number of those have come in either significantly lower uh, and not what I mean by significant, I'll say a quarter um, <laughs> lower, yeah. or they have these massive disclaimers all over them, talking about the you know the potential impacts. Yes, um, but what you're really saying is that that's a bit of a, a fallacy. Look, what I'm saying is that you know banks that the valuers are employed by banks to provide security for them in their lending practices. So you know a valuation does not necessarily reflect what's happening you know, with the market. Um, now, the information that I've shared is in relation to what's happening here in Brisbane. There may be some impact in other markets. When we look at CoreLogic data up until the end of April, the only market that showed a small decline across all of Australia was Melbourne, and that was a decline of 0.3% in their median value. Um, Brisbane, when we look at what happened across April, actually increased 0.3% and they're settled sales. So, you know, I think that um, you've you've got to look at what the data is telling you and you've got to look at what's actually happening on the ground because that's going to give you an indication of what the data is going to be like you know, in the next reporting period, which is um, on a month-by-month basis. And at this stage, there's there's strong support that um, from buyers that's causing property values to be maintained. So what is it then, to challenge that, that perspective, what is it that the CBA economists are looking at to actually see 
weakness in this market because they all the banks have forecast, particularly mm-hmm. for Melbourne and Sydney, um, weakness in the property space. It's a good question, and I don't know, you know, the basis upon which they make their predictions. Um, I do know that, you know, previously they've got it wrong, and you know, ultimately they're a business and they are protecting their shareholders. And if they don't predict property price falls and then that happens, then that can potentially expose them to liability. Um, if they do make those predictions um, and then property prices don't fall, then you know there's there's less liability for them. And I'm not suggesting that that's why they make these predictions either. You know, yes, there has been um, a weakened economy. The the issue that we have is that we don't know for how long the economy, you know, will be weak. We don't know exactly where the unemployment rate will get to. We don't even know at this stage whether there'll be a second wave of coronavirus. Now, look here in Queensland, we've got borders closed both internationally and the state borders. Um, And the last information I had available to me was that we have 12 active cases of coronavirus across the entire state. So, um, the chance of the second wave right now appears to be minimal. Um, it's time to kickstart the economy and minimise the impact that the virus has had on the economic output of our state and certainly our country. Now, you know, it's all about, um, you know, understanding the fundamentals that drive property values and looking at the balance between supply and demand. Certainly, the unemployment rate and the economic Um, environment will have an impact on demand, but let's not forget where we started before COVID-19 impacted our lives so significantly. We were coming off um, a market where we had buyer depth. Um, I've been at auctions where there were 29 registered bidders. I mean, that sort of market demand is out of control, but, um, you know, that's one example, but we were at multiple um, auctions you know, throughout February and early March where there were more than 10 up to 15 registered bidders at auction. Now, that gives you an indication of the number of buyers that are out there ready to buy with finance in place. Now, those buyers went into hibernation for a few weeks, but they're back and they're back in force. And now we've got a new wave of buyers who um, are looking for a little bit more security in terms of um, investors that are starting to reemerge, and they're looking for a yield play, and you know they're wanting to move their property into um, an asset that will provide them with some upside capital growth opportunity, but also you know a consistent cash flow. So yeah, there's sort probably, of a new buyer group. Yeah, and I'll probably have to take make the um, clear as well. A lot of those banks who forecast those numbers, they always forecast a best case, a base case, and a worst case scenario. Absolutely. And again, the one that grabs a headline is always the worst case scenario. Certainly. So the worst case scenario is that second wave of uh, COVID that comes through and the potential of that and what that has on the market. So you've got to really put out some bad numbers to actually get that worst case scenario when it comes down to it. And again, yeah. at the end of the day, there will be the markets within markets and some segments who have those uh, either investors or the renters who have been worst hit. So your tourism sectors, your Mm. um, casual employees, those kind of people who are renting a particular type of property um, is obviously going to be tougher hit than a a principal place of residence in the suburbs with uh, a family income, which is well supported through this period. So markets within markets, which you uh, talk about is a key element of that. Yeah. I've got another um, example here based on the NAB results that were just released in April as well, um, which provides further support to this, um, you know, 
lack of this mortgage cliff that some commentators are talking about. Now, the April results showed that 39% of their customers have repayment buffers of 12 months or greater and 32% of their customers have buffers that are two years or greater already in place. So, they're one of the big four banks as well, as you know. Um, Their market share, as I understand it, is around 15%. So, again, I think it indicates that the noise around households that are in mortgage stress um, and then the potential flow-on impact of mass property selling, it's just not supported in the data that I've certainly been able to access in in providing these types of examples. You know, if a third of their, their whole mortgage group are, you know, two years ahead in their repayments, it effectively means that, um, you know, they've got really good financial buffers in place. Yeah. And I suppose a big part of that as well is the fact that given the size of pro- the property market, the government also wants to support it. So, they're going to yeah. implement policies around helping people um, maintain their properties and keep it as a an, an asset that doesn't devalue. Um, we've, we're in an incredibly low interest rate environment. So, over this COVID-19 period, we had a drop in interest rates. So, we're yeah. down at 0.25 is um, our interest rates at the moment. So, that's led to very low cost of borrowing or holding costs for properties as well. And credit is one thing that, you know, contributes to the demand for property and the availability of credit. And and right now, credit has never, ever, ever been cheaper. So, for those that still do have um, secure jobs, and remember, I think the unemployment rate was released last week um, and now that's increased to 6.2%. So, you know, better than what was predicted by most economists. But um, again, we didn't hear that in the headlines. So, if our unemployment rate does reach 10%, which some of the predictions um, are still proposing, then it means 90% of people are effectively still gainfully employed. And it's that segment of the market that potentially are those that um, are still in a position to purchase property and can take advantage of the fact that, you know, the cost of borrowing right now is very cheap. And so, if for those that do have security of income and good financial buffers in place, there may actually never be a better time to position themselves in an investment opportunity in property. Yeah, excellent. So, looking forward, let's say, um, let's get outside the shorter term volatility, property as an asset class and the growth potential for it. Um, We'll leverage on your experience in the Brisbane property market and we'll focus on that. What's your sort of forecasts for um, growth and, and demand in the Brisbane property market going forward? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think ultimately I'd like to to base you know my discussions on the fact that there won't be a second wave of coronavirus because the yeah. uncertainty around that will change everybody's predictions. Of course, now of course. right now the international borders are closed, so one thing that drives the demand for property is population growth. So we're not going to see that influx of overseas uh, migrants that um, we've had previously. However. Brisbane as a market is less impacted by overseas migration. That's they're going. That type of impact is going to be felt more in Sydney and Melbourne, um, where our population has been accelerating is interstate migration. And right now, the borders are still closed throughout um, Australia. Well, certainly the Queensland borders are closed, so there is no interstate migration happening. However, post-COVID-19, once the Premier decides to open our borders, um, we actually see that the acceleration rate may further increase as people have uh, reassessed their 
living conditions. People might be looking for a more affordable lifestyle. I think that just going through this experience of all of us being in lockdown will change people's perception on how they want to live in the future. So we see actually demand from interstate migrants potentially increasing over the medium to longer term, which will have positive impacts for property here in Brisbane. We've got to align that with the fact that we've got construction commencements that have declined over the last 12 months, um, about 38% year on year. But we've also now got building approvals that have slowed down. So, our potential future supply pipeline um, is decelerating. It's it's we're, pre- we're building fewer properties than what we actually will need based on the number of people that will need these properties in the future. So, that's a good thing for property price growth because what we'll see is that um, we'll have increasing demand and really tight or limited supply. So, um, again, just the fundamental drivers. What we'll probably see is that people will be scrambling to purchase fewer properties and that will drive, um, you know, values up in the future. I think that, um, you know, the temporary things that the government have put into place to help uh, stimulate the economy, being the job keeper package to protect um, those from losing their jobs, um, as well as uh, ways that they've supported small business. You know, I think that people will have um, money, <laughs> again, to potentially um, invest in property or, or in other asset classes. And I think that because interest rates are at record lows, we the property market may be fueled by the fact that, um, you know, all this stimulus has been put into the economy and yet interest rates are so low that um, there's going to be the opportunity for people who can afford it to get in and borrow at very low rates. Um, in a market, why Brisbane appeals to a lot of people, even interstate investors, is that we're still very affordable. Our property market median value is about 55% of the value in Sydney. So, you can see how investors from interstate find, you know, Brisbane investment properties quite appealing because not only does that um, mean a lower buy-in price for something that will be investment grade, but it also means a much higher rental yield. So, you know, it's not uncommon to achieve gross rental yields in good high capital growth areas of around four to four and a half percent here in Brisbane. So, you know, for an investor to park their money in an asset that will continue to provide good long-term capital appreciation whilst securing a four or four and a half percent gross yield, um, you know, with interest rates so low, um, it's it's achievable to if with an eighty percent cash deposit and borrowing at eighty percent LVR. Sorry, with a twenty percent cash deposit borrowing at eighty percent LVR, it is actually achievable to um, hold a property without you know, it costing a significant sum of money each week. So, you know, that's definitely appealing for a lot of investors as well. So, you know, in the short to medium, sorry, the medium to long term, I see um, good price growth here in Brisbane. I think that we'll be moving back into the market that we were experiencing up until COVID-19 um, impacted us so significantly. Um, and I think it's just going to come back to the fundamentals of, you know, supply and demand. And that's what's going to support the continued growth in our markets. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes back to do your research, um, come up with your strategy. And if you have a long-term investment horizon, um, now's a great time again, to be entering the property market, as long as you're buying good quality assets. 
That's right. Yeah. And I think that as the year goes on, we're going to see more buyer confidence returning. And as more buyers come into the market, it's going to become more competitive again. So, you know, and that's just going to continue to push prices up when you've got more than one buyer negotiating on a property and it moves into multiple offer, it definitely means that, you know, people will pay with emotion if you're buying something that appeals to the owner-occupier and owners will throw money at it just to secure it because they don't want to miss out. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think your your point, um, Melinda, is in relation to the the markets within the market. So there are probably going to be pockets where – uh, you know the mortgage belts where the, there will be more distressed sales, um, but they'll be, I suppose, fairly isolated as I sort of see it. Mm, absolutely, and you know what I couldn't delve into that I just didn't have the access within the data that I was looking at is you know which areas are more likely to be in mortgage distress, and um, you know that's that's very hard to predict with the data that's available to me. But you know, ultimately, if you're in an area that um, you've recently purchased into that um, you've borrowed at at really high LVRs, then that might apply to you even if you are in an investment grade location. Um, alternatively, you may be um, have purchased in a location chasing yield um, and simply in these sorts of situations uh, where the rental income may have been reduced, no longer are you achieving that that high yields that you initially bought into um, the area for. So all of a sudden that high yield that you've um, borrowed on the basis of um, is no longer there, then you might find yourself in in distress. And because you've had no capital growth in that property because you've purchased in a location purely for the yield, then you may become a distressed seller as well. So look, again, that's a very generalized statement, but it's just helping people understand, you know, if you've got equity in a property, um, you know, very rarely will you become a distressed seller because you can refinance uh, generally if you've got that equity. But it's um, it's very hard to refinance when you don't have equity in a property and you're borrowing at very high loan-to-value ratios. Yeah. So I suppose the underlying theme to what you're saying is that there's no need to be scared by all these sensationalised headlines that we're hearing. It's just about doing your research and making sure that the fundamentals still work. Yes, knee-jerk reactions are the worst thing that people can do in the current circumstances and um, listening to the media and obtaining all of your information from the media also can be a really bad move in um, in an environment like, like now. It's all about mindset and, you know, understanding the data and what that data is telling you. And, you know, what we do is help our clients understand the risk versus the reward. And right now, yes, we, as I mentioned, we've put um, a lot of clients um, on hold. Now, we're in a position where we're comfortable to represent a client again for an investment strategy should they be in a position to move forward. And we've still got a couple of investors whose risk appetite is not yet um, aligned with moving forward at this stage. And, you know, some commentary from one of our clients is that they would rather pay 5% more in six months time for the security to know that they're not going to buy an asset that's going to decline in value. And, And that's okay if that's their risk appetite. But what I say to clients is that, um, if you're in the position to buy now and you've got security of income and you've got those financial buffers, um, unless you intend to sell in 12 months, regardless of whether the market goes up or down, then there's no risk to you because you um, it's about you know what the asset's going to be like 20 years from now, not That's what the right. asset's not going to be like 12 focus. months from now. Correct. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, that's been excellent, Melinda. Thank you very much for your insight. And uh, out of anything, that's really cut through the noise in the in the marketplace and the media at the moment. That's been really good. Yeah, so, it's been excellent. Yes, it's um, it's about understanding the numbers and understand understanding the drivers of um of property values, and that's what we're able to do as qualified property investment advisors. And you know, we try to cut through the noise of the media and just help clients understand the facts. And that's what this is all about when it comes to selecting investment strategies. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we uh, speak to you in due course in in regards to the property market as a whole. It's been great to chat to you both again. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Melinda. The information contained in this podcast should not be interpreted as advice. It is general in nature and does not take into account your individual financial situation or needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial decision, we recommend you consult with a licensed professional advisor to consider your unique circumstances. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.